Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 172. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing. And we are continuing with our reading from uh, one of the books that I've written, Understanding Biblical End Times. Uh, So we will jump in. This will be part three as we continue where we left off from the previous episode. So this is... Understanding Biblical End Times, written and narrated by Danny Pate. The angels will, quote, gather out of Christ's kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Matthew thirteen forty one through 43 As the causes of sin are taken out of the world that Jesus paid to redeem, the righteous will shine brighter and brighter until the fullness of their brilliance shines like the brightness of day. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Daniel 12 verse 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The kingdom of the Father is the kingship, rule, reign, and sovereign authority of God both in the world and in the hearts of men, women, and children. This kingdom is both here and expanding, present and coming in more fullness, in and within reach. When Jesus uttered the words from the cross, it is finished, what exactly was he telling us? Broadly and weakly, I can express it by saying that he accomplished what he set out to do. If he has finished, what remains to be? When we assess everything the cross accomplished, what remains undone? I dare say nothing. What more could be done than what the cross and resurrection of Christ accomplished? The scholar N.T. Wright challenges us to stop the separation of the kingdom and the cross. Wright says, quote, The two work in unison rather than separate realities. One cannot be without the other. End quote. It warrants thought that when Jesus utters those words from the cross, that it is finished, he did so before resurrecting. 
The next scripture that applies the word end is in Matthew 24, 1-3, which says, quote, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the mount of olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? End quote. Revisiting the Greek word for end here is soon to lay just like what we saw in Matthew 13:40 which said quote, "therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of this age" End quote. I believe this word soon to lay to communicate a consummated judgment more clearly I believe the disciples viewed it that way because they use the same word in Matthew 24, verse 3, as in Matthew 13, 40. But I want to point out how Jesus responded to their request. When Jesus told them the temple would be destroyed and, quote, not one stone will be left upon another, They asked him two things. First, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They are tying his coming to the end of the age, soon to lay. Jesus says in verses 5 through 6, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end, telos, is not yet. Now by this point, we should be asking ourselves, what end is Jesus speaking of here? As we read further up and through verse 14, which says, quote, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Many of us will see this and say, There you have it. Jesus has just said, The end of the world will come once the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world. However, do not forget what Jesus' disciples asked after Jesus prophesied that one stone would not be left on top of the other. In verse 2, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. After Jesus goes into his discussion, he wraps it up in saying when the end will come. The end he is speaking of is the end of the way of the temple. 
the way of the temple may be an odd way to say it, still I think it grabs many elements into understanding what is being destroyed. It is more than just the destruction of a building or temple. It is a way of doing things, ceremony, sacrifice, commandments, and all these things are what they have been doing since their foundation as a people. Jesus is not saying that the end of the world will come. It clearly did not. He is saying here that the end of the way of the temple will come to an end. Many objections can arise from this kind of stance. First, many would disagree that the gospel has not yet been proclaimed throughout the whole world. In some regards, you could be partially correct. There are, without doubt, some tribes and people groups that have yet to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. However, Paul presented a problem where he, in four scriptures, states that the gospel has indeed been preached throughout the whole world. Colossians 1, 3-7 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard, before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. End quote. Also in Colossians 1, 22 through 23, quote, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. End quote. Romans 10, verses 16 through 18, says, quote, but, they have, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Lastly, in Romans 16, 25-26, says, quote, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command 
of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. In these four scriptures, Paul has affirmed that the gospel's message has made its way to the ends of the world. Now, in light of this truth, the linear timeline also fits in with what Paul is proclaiming here. According to Matthew Henry's commentary, Colossians was written in 62 AD and Romans around 57 to 58 AD. These words that Jesus prophesied regarding the temple and its destruction were spoken around 30 to 33 AD. Matthew was written sometime between 37 to 63 AD. According to extra-biblical resources commonly accepted by biblical scholars, the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple occurred in 70 AD. Paul declares that the gospel had reached the whole world before the end, i.e. the end of the temple and its way, fulfilling the prophecy Jesus gives during his ministry. This prophecy should adjust the way we view Jesus' words in light of the temple's destruction and not the destruction of the world in some apocalyptic nature in a future event not yet fulfilled. In this next portion of Scripture in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus warns of the abomination of desolation. Jesus ties this back to the prophet Daniel who references this abomination of desolation. Three passages in Daniel mention this abomination. In Daniel 9, verse 27, it says, quote, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week. He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Daniel 11.31 says, quote, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. End quote. Lastly, in Daniel 12, verse 11, it says, quote, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. End quote. I mentioned these three verses uniquely. However, I want to practice caution from pulling them out from their context and rebuilding them right next to one another. It is important to keep in mind the proximity to what they are connected to in Scripture. In the last half of Daniel 9, verse 27, it says, And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. 
I want to draw attention to Isaiah 10, 23 through 25, where it says, quote, For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. Just as this spoke of Assyria in its context, could what is written in Matthew speak of that generation's enemy, Rome? That same the same came to pass of them as did Assyria. God's fury ended against Israel and Jerusalem and then was turned against the Roman Empire. So, the abomination that causes desolation could be the Roman Empire rather than just a single person. Since we are in Daniel 9, I want to take some time to explain Daniel 9 and its implications regarding what we traditionally think of Daniel 9 as a predominant supporting scripture for end times. To better understand this chapter, it would help to understand the reason for it. Many of us are aware of the Sabbath day of the week commandment given in the Old Testament. Fewer of us are familiar with the Sabbath year. In Leviticus 25, 1 through 5, it says, quote, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. End quote. If you read just a little further, we will learn some important language in addition to another type of Sabbath. In Leviticus 25, 8-11, it says, quote, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Thus, then, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year 
and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. End quote. This year of Jubilee also gives us the language to understand Daniel 9 regarding the 77s. God was very serious about his Sabbath rests. So serious that in Leviticus 26, God tells his people what will happen if they continue to walk contrary to his commandments. God ultimately tells them he will scatter them among the nations and the land will become desolate. Leviticus 26 34 through 35 says, quote, Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. This explains, among other wrongs, the 70-year Babylonian captivity. It also gives us an understanding of the language of the 70 weeks. Now this will conclude this part three reading. We will pick back up in the next episode on page 33 as we continue our reading from Understanding Biblical End Times. Thanks for taking the time to join me, and I hope to see you on the next one. God bless. If it means I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for